Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show. This is your guide to better cricket. We're here for half an hour or so, and we're here to help you out, whether you coach the game, whether you play the game. And who are we? Well, my name's David Hinchliffe. I look after things. And then joining me for the ride are two very fine cricket coaches. The first is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Uh, secondly, it's the head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School. It's Sam Lavery. Hello, Lavers. Uh, are, are things looking up there as well? Yeah, um, rugby is um, not quite a conclusion, but we, we had our big sevens tournament on the weekend. So that's kind of the last battering that the fields take, really. So hopefully... The groundsmen are, are going to start preparing outfields and things like that, um, which will be looking uh, looking forward to the summer. The sun's out again, so yeah, hopefully a couple of cold but sunny weeks, and um, we'll start looking like a, a, cr- a cricket pitch again. Yeah, that anticipation it, it feels it feels so close yet so far away at the same time. It's it's a uh, it, it's a good time of year in in many ways because you can get all excited, but you can't really do much about it apart from just keep on plugging away and training, can you? That's the thing. Well, yeah, we'll be getting outside and trying to do a few things. I'm sure Gareth's lots uh, are sick of being outside, aren't they? By now this year, this winter, but they'll they'll be getting inside come July, won't they? They'll be they'll have had enough of it, yeah. but. Um, yeah, yeah we, we'll obviously get get outside a little bit after half term. We we'll try and do a session a week where they can they can go outside and run in and bowl and that kind of thing. And um, we're also trying to do a few mixed training sessions with a few other schools, which will be a, a nice introduction for this year. Where I'm trying to trying to just mix up the sessions with a few other first teams and um, get everyone training together and take some of that indoor centre boredom. Um, away from the sessions which not that I'm saying my sessions are boring David <laughs> I'm sure they're not but there's only so much you can do isn't there you've got to you know you spend a long time indoors and uh, you know it's it's easy to um, just get to the point where you're like right I've had enough of this this is an outdoor sport for goodness sake a few fresh so. faces for another school will hopefully uh, be, a, be a good yeah. little kind of a spurt for everyone to try and get moving and try and get improving themselves towards the end of the, of the block Let's um, talk about a part of cricket which is always interesting, always fun to talk about, and, and one that's come up recently, which is the um, the responsibility of of the coach in the team when they're actually playing. And it, you know, the relationship between the coach and the captain is one that's always talked about. And traditionally, of course, the captain, much more than in any other sport, the captain has has been the one who's taken the reins, and the coach has taken a lot more of a back seat. At, especially when it comes to the the tactical side of it, you know, on the field, the tactical side of it. But there's certainly been calls recently for the coach to take more responsibility and to be more involved with the on-field side of things as well as preparing the players for when they go onto the field. A bit more, a bit closer to as a football manager, I suppose, you know, you know, having their technical area and all the rest of it where they can, where they can do tactical things from the sidelines. So... Is it is it time to rethink that that side of things? Is it time for the coach to have a little bit more responsibility in that area, or is it more a traditional thing where, well, actually, you know, once you've crossed that line, it's up to the captain to to run the ship. I suppose it's, it comes down to that accountability thing, doesn't it? Again, and without a shadow of a doubt, coaches in all sports are becoming more accountable for performance, aren't they? And uh, you know, as I've said on this show numerous times, every time we won a game 
in sides at uh, you know at professional level that I coached they would go the players would go and do the interviews and every time we lost one I would um, and and that accountability at that level has been there for quite a long time but uh, I think society always wants accountability and, and you know and um, whilst whether we can argue whether that's a healthy thing or not a healthy thing it probably is likely to to shift uh, over the course of time and despite the fact that me and other people would want the the captain to play a, a big part reality is that society is going to dictate that, that the coaches in positions are going to uh, be forced to do to do more of course that helps some people uh, you know somebody as I said in the past like Peter Moores he wants to take a, an active role he'll probably be very well um, uh, positioned to do uh, that forward uh, looking role and that high paced role that he's done brilliantly in county cricket in a few years time it might be that international cricket demands that as well but historically at the top end of a game it's been the captain first and the, the coach second that's been the most successful but uh, I wonder as you go down the levels whether it needs a coach to take on a bit more of uh, the responsibility for driving things uh, as you go down the levels because of the maturity or the experience or whatever the case may be of the captains that you're working with certainly at June level whilst we try to develop responsibility we probably end up being uh, a little bit more of the the drum basher or the conductor uh, than the, the captain is you know particularly as we get into those really young age groups yeah and I suppose that's the big thing isn't it you know if you're talking about age group cricket there is always going to be you know you're developing aren't you so you're not going to be quite you might not be the finished article when it comes to these things and there's a bit more of a case to say well you know is is the coach is the coach driving things there but even at that level I think what you want to do is, is give as much as you can responsibility because that's that's how you learn isn't it by by making those mistakes and do, doing something and perhaps that when you reflect on it you would um, you would change your mind if you would do it another time but you know if someone's just told you what to do in any given situation then you're not going to be able to to learn and adapt as quickly are you so uh, there there are practical considerations of course but i think always i don't know what you think about this labors but i think always we should be driving towards that that ideal situation where um, the captain is the one who can make those decisions on the fly and can do those things without the coach input if if needs be because it's very hard for the coach to give input when uh, when they're not on the field well all, always and never are two words that are very dangerous but I, I happen to agree with you there in that instance that that is ultimately our goal isn't it that when when they walk on the field we're not needed and they can make decisions they can um, manage each other, they can manage themselves, they can be creative, they can um, help people out when they, when, when they need it if, for whatever reason and and if we've done our job really, really well, we won't be needed a great deal from the sidelines and if we're honest that very rarely do you get to that kind of stage where the, the, the players are completely self-sufficient um, and if you think they are then you're probably missing something. Um, but yeah, the closer you can get to, to that situation where they can um, they can manage themselves, then then you've done a really good job. And I think that's that's often the sign of a a team that maybe isn't that prepared is is when the coach is having to instruct or advise continually throughout. Which in the past I, I probably found myself doing a lot of because I could see things that the the players couldn't necessarily understand and and subsequently I was realising that I wasn't educating them well enough in 
if I know it, I'd, I'd really like the kids to know it or understand it or to be working towards it and I want them to be working beyond what I know really um, so uh, yeah if if they are able to, to manage themselves then, then you've done a pretty good job yeah, and we're talking about an ideal situation here, aren't we? I, th- I think one of the key things is that allowing people to make, to make their own mistakes is quite a hard thing to do, isn't it, as a coach? Because, you know, you want to help people and you might even have the answer, right? You might even think to yourself, well, I know this, so I just need to tell them and then they'll know it as well. And then um, they, they, won't make, they won't ever make the mistake. And isn't that brilliant? Isn't that what we're driving towards? We want to eliminate all mistakes. But of course... We can't do that. We can't eliminate all mistakes and, and people learn from mistakes. And so being comfortable enough to be in a position where you're pretty sure someone's going to make a mistake and then they do and then helping them learn from it. That's a, that's a that's quite a tricky thing to be able to do, right, isn't it? You know, because there's outside pressures as well from people saying, well, hang on a minute, you're the coach. You should stop people making mistakes, not not let those mistakes happen. So. That's the worry, though, isn't it? If you if you tell them, will they retain it forever? Will they will they really remember it and have it ingrained in their memory, or or actually will they know it once and then they'll make the same mistake three months down the line because they were just told to do something? And and that's what we want to do is is hopefully push them towards that um, finding the solution themselves and create that problem solving environment where they they know they're looking to solve things. All it's a bit like if you. If you ask someone to get out of them out of a maze, and if you give them directions, they'll walk out. If you ask them to find a way, then they'll learn a lot more about that maze. They'll learn what everything looks like and how everything, how every top, every corner looks, won't they? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to that that whole quote thing, isn't it? You know, the, the tell me, I'll forget; show me, I'll remember; involve me, I'll understand. And often that involved process it, it takes a bit of time, doesn't it? And and whilst onlookers on the outside. Uh, particularly you know supporters or parents or whatever the case may be want that instant fix you've got to understand that if you're telling somebody to do something they'll probably be able to replicate the absolute action that you're looking them to do on one occasion and then the next time it will it will break down Uh, you know you can do that show thing and they might remember it but then their memory might go it might be under pressure all of those sort of things and over time if you involve them in that process which requires a lot of reflection review lots of questioning um, then eventually they get it and it stays and certainly the best learnings that I've had as a coach uh, I would say have been when I've been involved in the process very much involved in that process rather than being listening there to a, a lecture and then assuming that I understand the uh, information that often goes out the window for straight away so it's no different for a player um, and um, you know our job as much as anything is to project that that process to people that are watching and um, uh, and observing and supporting um, and uh, in many cases they might turn around and just t- say oh that's coaches talking coaching twaddle but ultimately if you really stand up up for your own philosophies on that which I generally do then uh, it doesn't really matter whether um, somebody sacks me from a job because I haven't had a good enough results or not you know I'd rather have the philosophy that has stood me in good stead and stood others into good stead over the years and stick with that rather than adjusting it just to try and keep myself in a position okay let's move on to some questions questions that have been sent into the show by listeners and um what we do in this part of the show is we answer those questions as best we can and then we choose the best question of the week that wins a prize of an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. If you want to 
get in contact with us for future shows. You can do that by emailing coach at pitchvision.com or get in touch with us through social media, which we'll tell you about towards the end of the show. And Vidhan is the first person who's got in touch with us this week. And he said, I'm 18 years old and my role is an all-rounder. I joined a famous cricket academy, but now I left because they weren't letting me play my natural shots. So I'm completely fed up of going to an academy. Now I only play in my college and I'm a regular part of my college team. My question to you is, can I play at a greater level without going to an academy? Uh, well, it sort of depends, I suppose, on where you are and what the pathway is, uh, would be my first call. I should imagine uh, we're looking here at somebody who's um, uh, working out of the subcontinent from... He's uh, in India, the, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the way that the question's been worded and the referencing uh, within that. So uh, academies play a huge part of that. I think there were a, an astronomical a number of acad- academies in inverted commas um, around India. I can't. I can remember we discussed the number of it a few years ago, but I should imagine it's probably gone up even more since then. Um, whereas if you look at the you know, academies in the UK, for example, uh, there would be 18 first-class cricket academies and a number of different programmes that are working up into those that wouldn't have the name academy next to them. I'm always a little bit wary of the word academy, I have to say, particularly the ones that have been uh, self-imposed uh, as an academy as opposed to those that are within some sort of pathway. Um but I understand the Indian model and, and these academies offer great coaching opportunity but also a lot of the time offer a lot of playing opportunity as well and, and really for me the key is if you're if the organisation, the university that you're at now is playing a level of cricket that is being recognised by somebody within the pathway a scout or actually you've got the national governing body or the, the area governing body looking at your cricket or monitoring your your cricket um, and recognising the players that were uh, within it then I think you're in a pretty good place because it sounds as if you're enjoying your cricket and you're allowed to play it in the way that you want to play it which is actually you know intrinsically it's one of the biggest motivations for us all to all to play so that's the key thing for me if you've got that that motivation that enjoyment and you're in a place where you're being looked at and have the opportunity to show it uh, your runs and wickets can take you further then I'd stick where you are if you're not in that then let's try and seek out some ways of getting onto that pathway getting uh, recognized and that doesn't always necessarily mean um, going uh, away from the club that you enjoy playing at now it could mean writing some letters off to one of your states uh, the, the local state and saying could I come in and bowl and bat against your professional players and see how I fare but there's lots of different methods around it but you know the great thing is that you're enjoying your cricket at the moment and if you can get that linked to somebody looking at that level of cricket and taking some um, stats from it or, or you know asking people's opinions about how people are playing in those leagues and that's fantastic I think from um, from the point of view of the earlier part of the question where he was talking about um, he didn't like the academy because they weren't letting him play his natural shots that's an interesting thing to think about as well in terms of if if the style of coaching doesn't doesn't suit you is there anything that can be done about that is there a way that is you know that, that you can work within that system that that allows you to get what you need without necessarily thinking oh they're, they're just trying to ruin my game because obviously then you know the the guys in that academy the coaches in that academy are trying to help 
So is there a case to say they're obviously trying to help, maybe they're not helping in the way that you like, but can we find some kind of middle ground here where we can where we can work together towards something that we want? Do we want to open open up communication a little bit more rather than just saying, oh, well, yeah, I don't like you because you're telling me to, to um, not play my natural game, so you, you can't help me? Yeah, it, sound, it sounds as though potentially the, the coach or coaches there have, have maybe got a, a slightly different vision or pathway ahead for, um, is it Vidan we, we, we've got here? Um, Vidan, yeah. So maybe they're, they're seeing him as in two, three, four, five years' time having an end goal of one thing and Vidan maybe is visualising something different to himself and maybe, as you said there, open up that communication pathway and just say, oh, actually, what, what do you see me as and what do I see myself as? And potentially it is two different things and as you said, it's very unlikely that you've got a coach who's not trying to improve someone and make them better. So maybe that the end goal they're working towards isn't isn't maybe what you're working towards. The other thing is that there's every chance that maybe they've not explained it perfectly, but suggesting that they're not letting you play your natural game or your shots would be... Is it all the time or or actually is it? are they just trying to improve your decision making and again it might be a breakdown in communication that is just limiting the the message being transferred from them to you so perhaps they need to explain it a little bit bit better but maybe they're just trying to streamline your the shots that you play at a certain time because of a certain match situation or whatever it might be or a certain format of the game where they feel like you can be a little bit smarter in your decision making if you're going to get from 0 to 100 or 0 to 50 or 0 to 200 or whatever it is, more consistently. So I, w- I would say try and reopen that communication and just say, just kind of inquire as you were trying to do this, What do, where did you think that was going to take me? Or what kind of cricketer did you think you wanted me to, to, to become? And try and get their point of view. And, and, and maybe having stepped away from it slightly, possibly the communication will be a little bit easier now that you're not in the, in the thick of it all the time and, and they're not necessarily, or you're not necessarily worrying about what the, what the conversation comes to. Vidan, if you do this, I, I bet you'll find that um, there's, you have a lot more in common than you have in conflict with those coaches because most things most most of the time that is true so i can't speak to your specific case but usually that is true so um if you can reopen those channels and find out what you have in common uh, with the with the style of play that you're talking about here and and, and, the, and the way that you go about your cricket then maybe that will reveal something and, and then you can work on the things you have in common rather than rather than getting all um bogged down in the things that that you don't agree on because often those little difference those those differences are very minor in in the in the big scale of things and actually you know if you look at the look at the grand scale of things then it, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter so much if if they're trying to get you to do something that perhaps you don't like at that moment you know maybe maybe it'll help maybe it won't but you know that the big things are more important so maybe that's a, a road to go down next questions from sahar and sahar says do i need to get a bigger stride i bat by playing late but with a small stride. I'm trying to bat up the order this season, but I'm worried I'll struggle against the ball moving. It means no confidence in any shots unless the ball is very full or very short. Yeah, interesting. So you're worried about it, but I'm interested in finding out whether that worry has come from being exposed 
technically by the swinging ball with that short stride or whether it's just a you know visualizing that situation happening and, and not feeling as if you're technically adequate so that would be my starting point for any discussion that that we had prior to doing any work because actually there is sometimes a merit in not moving your feet against a swinging ball uh, and playing late and and I say that because two very good batters, let alone batting coaches, uh, talked about it um, over the years. One being Grave Gooch, which is, um, you know, play it late, play it straight when the ball is swinging. Um, and often if you're playing the ball really late and you're making your decisions really late of where you want to move because you want to line the ball up as best as possible, then you haven't got the time to get that huge stride in. But the key thing, as you quite rightly said in your question, is, is playing the ball as late as possible. Often when people don't move their feet, they compromise by chucking their hands out of the ball. And obviously for somebody like a, a Jimmy Anderson or a Dale Stane, that is, uh, that's music to their ears um, because those slip fielders and keeper are going to come into play on a, on a regular basis. So playing the ball late is, is crucial. The other coach that I, I was referring to earlier is Gary Kirsten, and they actually nullified uh, Jimmy Anderson by not moving their feet at all. I think it was 2012 when they came over to... To England and basically they said when Jimmy started to swing it around corners they were going to get themselves into a ready position and just play from their ready position uh, and the top five did that and uh, and I think Jimmy averaged 60 with the ball which as we know is a rare occurrence uh, indeed particularly in English conditions so um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing not to have a big stride when you're playing against a swinging ball in fact sometimes it can be it can be a great it can be a great thing so you know, don't limit yourself by thinking that you've got to do it in a completely different way. It could be that you've just got to be really diligent that when you are moving your feet at a shorter distance that you make sure that you, you play the ball as late as possible. Um, and that would certainly be my advice for what you, you've said at the moment rather than trying to completely change your game and getting a big stride because often when that happens people's weight distribution is affected, people's balance is affected um, and also the distance that they're making contact with the ball in relation to their head has changed as well. I think uh, especially we're talking about we're not sure whether he's if he's um, if he's batted lower down the order maybe he hasn't been as exposed to you know the the opening bowlers of the new ball you know swinging it around and all the rest of it so it's possible I suppose that he, he's worried about it before it's happened because he's you know he, he knows the ball will be swinging more if he's batting at three compared to if he's batting at seven so that that's a fair uh that's a fair worry i think but also um there's not really much you can do about that until you have um faced it so i, I think the best thing you can do about any kind of worry is try and find that opportunity to practice in that situation so if you can find the um you know the your team's new ball bowler and you can give him a new ball and say listen mate i want you to swing it around for me in the nets because i want to practice you know i want you to try try and nick me off here because i'm you know i'm trying to practice against swing bowling and uh, you won't get many uh, openings opening bowlers who will um say no you're all right i'm not going to bother doing that today will you yeah and something that we're I think we learn something every week we learn, probably learn something every day don't we these days coaching wise when people give it a lot of thought and I, I don't know I don't know if it was on here or if it was in a, a chat we had off air or maybe it was might have been something I listened to on the TV but look at the look at the strongest people in the world the things they've done to is they've they are very much committed to a, a playing in a certain way and yes they might change along the way but once they're playing in a certain way they, they do commit to it and Steve Smith no is is an obvious one that no one would have 
not many people would have backed him and said that technique's going to work. But if he really commits to it and makes sure he understands it and has a way of playing, then it can work for him. And there are lots of others in around the world. I mean, Steve Waugh wasn't wasn't a prolific front foot player, was he? Equally, he wasn't prolific hooker or pull of a ball, but he still found a way to churn out thousands and thousands of runs. Um, and if you're worried about the front foot, again, Peter Hanscom, I mean, I've got a better front foot game than him, but the guy averages 47.5 in test cricket. So, look, it's find, find a way that works for you. And just because you're seeing other people around you playing in those circumstances and they're particularly positive with their foot movement, well, that's what works for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you it doesn't mean you have to do it you might have to be more disciplined without it you might have to find different ways of accessing different areas but you will no doubt that there will be a way you can adapt your technique slightly without having to do everything that everyone's doing because if you were to if you were to look at the best driver the best cutter the best puller the best sweeper etc 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 there probably isn't one batter who uses the method that all of those different people use so it's not being able to play every shot perfectly. It's about building in links and being able to understand your own game and what your strengths are, what your limitations are. And if you can do that, you probably find yourself scoring a few runs along the way. That's one of the things in recent times that's sort of come into my mind is that um, rather than thinking about correcting, identifying and correcting, you think about enhancing, you know, de- dealing with what you've got and working with it either to make it better if it's a strength or, or to sort of reduce the effects of, of it. So at the very least, you know, it's not going to get you out if it's a weakness. So I think if you look at it from that way, if you look at use the word enhance instead of instead of correct, I think that that does make a big difference to the way that you approach your game, especially when it comes to to batting when you know it could all be over in one ball couldn't it if you if you if you're feeling that stress of oh it could all be over in one ball and it's all down to my terrible technique then that's not a very helpful uh, way to improve your game but if you think all right how can I enhance what I've already got then uh, you're in a good place then I think yeah or or really emphasize something which is you know part of your game and turn that into a super strength against a swinging ball Mm. and um you know, the, having playing real late, you've identified that that is one of your strengths. Test it against the swing and delivery, because often when the ball starts to move laterally, that's when we get drawn into playing in front of us. So if you can transfer your natural uh, preference for playing the ball late. Uh, when you're batting at number seven and the ball not, isn't necessarily swinging into being able to do that against a swinging ball batting two and three, then that's going to put you in an incredibly good good position. So exposure to it is, is really yeah. good. And rather than trying to change your technique to be able to deal with that new challenge, why, you know, looking to enhance it and looking to uh, adapt it slightly um, and challenge it slightly to see if you can repeat that late contact when the ball is swinging as well. If you do that, it's going to make you very very difficult to to play against and going back to Steve Smith I mean there's there's a lot of people now that have talked after his success of winter saying well it's going to be really interesting to see him uh, play in English conditions in 2019 um, and to see how he goes over there because obviously his record on the wickets that have, have nipped about a bit in England it hasn't been quite so strong as it has been at, uh, at Lords and also at the Oval in, in the UK where he's got a fantastic record um, 
but uh, you know I think the way he ended up playing in that series recently which I, I think the catalyst came in Adelaide during that second test where the ball actually did move around a fair bit and he looked probably the most vulnerable that he did over the course of a series I think he reflected on that and just thought right you, do you know what when the ball starts to swing I'm literally going to hang back I'm not going to move but I'm going to really challenge myself to let that ball come as far down the wicket as possible before I intercept it and there were two or three shots against the swinging ball in those last two test matches where he literally did his movement then stood still and almost just just blocked it from nowhere you know from no no technical position whatsoever whilst it looks a bit funny actually it's exactly the same principle that the South Africans took in against Jimmy Anderson in 2012 exactly the same do very little play it as late as possible and get through that spell when the ball swings because as we all know the ball doesn't keep going uh, through the air or off the pitch for 50 overs and it, it never does uh, it generally does it at certain stages of it depending on the newness of a ball or the condition of a ball and it's a about coping with those little periods of play to, to limit the, the damage that you, you face both individually and also as a team uh, and then manage your way through that uh, I guess the other thing is you know if, it, if the ball is going around corners then there isn't many people who have got a better average in those situations than when it's completely flat and it's not moving off the uh, off the straight right? I mean it's, it's easier to bat in, in those circumstance, circumstances so you know, give yourself a little bit of a break. You know it's going to be tough, but like you said, Gareth, if you can get through that tough part, then uh, you can make hay. So there are there are uh, there are times when you'll get out to it, and uh, you know even the most technically uh, adapt batsman of all time still nick the ball to first slip every now and again. So you know you, you can give yourself a bit of a break. You know it's not it, it it's not a, a fatal flaw if you do make a mistake. That's just batting, isn't it? You know you, everyone makes mistakes all the time so so yeah it, it, it give yourself that little bit of a break work towards that 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 ideal but know that it is tough and that's it's okay for you to feel that it's tough okay let's wrap it up there that's all we've got time for on the show this week before we head off there's one more thing we need to do and that's to decide on the winner of the competition the online coaching course from pitch vision academy at pitchvision.com is up for grabs and the two questions are Vidhan's one about academies and whether he needs to join one. And Sahar's question about a bigger stride. Which one did you prefer this week, Garris? I'm going to go for the swinging ball one because uh, I think... I think it's something that a lot of people face, you know, when they want a different challenge, about a different number in the order and get themselves into the game. It obviously brings, um, uh, you know, the ball swinging a little bit more and having some idea of how to cope with that would, would be good. So uh, anything that helps everybody with a swinging ball, I think is good advice. Fantastic. And if someone was listening to the show and wanted their question to pop up and have their chance to win that prize, how could they get in touch with us, Garris? You could give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com. That's correct. Uh, there's other ways of getting in touch with us as well. Facebook is facebook.com slash pitchvisionacademy. You can get us through pitchvision.com, of course, the messaging system there. And our Twitter is at pitchvisionacad. You can listen to the show every week by subscribing to a search for Pitchvision Academy in your favorite podcast app and we'll come up. Or you can head over to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link and you'll get uh, all the old shows all the old show notes and you can stream or download those shows going right back to the beginning that's all for this week we hope you listen next week but until then have a good week cheers garris
Cheers, Lavis. Cheers, boys. Cheers, guys.